I invite you to pray with me. Gracious and holy God, we come to this time um, in our worship where we turn to you with, Lord, what we long to be open hearts and minds and spirits um, that are ready to receive the word you have to speak to us this day. So God, just uh, send your spirit to move um, in us so that we um, can come to you with that openness, Lord. Uh, so that we can receive what it is you have to offer us this day, O oh Lord. For we know that you are a God that longs for life, um, for your people and for your world. We know that you are a God that will lead us um, in the ways that are right, uh, the ways that are just, uh, the ways that lead uh, to life for us and all. Uh, so help us follow you this day. Help us hear your word. It's in your name we pray. Friends, our scripture this morning um, continues uh, with our journey uh, through the Beatitudes uh, with Jesus. Jesus' teaching that comes to us from uh, the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 5. This week we are on the fourth Beatitude. Um, and uh, it reads as this um, in the New Revised Standard Version. Let's listen to God's word for us this day. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. And now from Eugene Peterson's translation of scripture, the message, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the word righteous is one that has been jaded a bit in our culture. Um, and shifted from its true meaning. While it is used to describe a person who is acting morally right or justifiable, when we think of somebody being righteous, we can think of someone judgmentally placing themselves on a moral high ground above others around them. To truly understand Jesus' teaching for us today, we've got to let go of the ways this word has been corrupted by people's prideful and judgmental behavior. To be righteous is to live rightly, to live out the moral virtues that God calls us to in scripture. Virtues that are given to us to help us live in right relationship with God, with our neighbors, and with ourselves. As we've already learned through our journey with the Beatitudes, being prideful or judgmental of others or ourselves misses the mark. Instead, we are called to humbly seek after the way of life that God deems as right for us, a way of life we can only manage to live through the power and gift of God's grace. In the book that was the inspiration for this series, um, Jonathan Dodson writes this, living a righteous life ushers in wholeness. It lines us up with God, issuing a host of virtues such as humility, purity, mercy, love, and endurance. This is why each beatitude starts with the word blessed. The blessing that ensues from a life of righteousness is the result of living how our creator intended us to live. He has designed us for flourishing, which happens when we align ourselves with his design. Righteousness is moral goodness that takes its cues from God. 
God's and goes on to name that righteousness and the wholeness it offers us is meant both for us individually and collectively. This right way of living is both about our personal lives and our collective public life. One of the strange divisions that has arisen in the church here in America as we have watched so many of its communities splinter along the same lines, our larger society is divided. Centers in this tension between personal and public righteousness. More conservative evangelical traditions are more prone to focus on personal righteousness, the personal moral choices and way of life of a follower of Jesus. On the other hand, more progressive mainline traditions are much more prone to focus on public righteousness, the public collective moral choices made and advocated for by a body of Christians. Stereotypically, the one focuses more on personal sin and its repercussions in the world, while the other focuses on systemic sin and its repercussions in the world. In reality, this is a false division that can work against Christ's purposes in the world. For Jesus, as is often the case, it is not an either or, but instead a both and here once again. If we are to live lives of integrity and wholeness, then we should practice both a personal and a public righteousness. In order to live in right relationship with God, with our neighbor and with ourselves, we should be equally concerned about the state of our own hearts and the state of our society. The two are deeply connected, and one without the other cannot lead to the fullness of life Christ longs for, both with us and in our world. If we don't cultivate both a personal and public righteousness, we can easily miss the mark when it comes to God's will. If we engage the fight for social justice, but do not cultivate a life of personal righteousness grounded in the virtues of patience, humility, and love, it's easy to fall into a trap of self-destructive anger or despair when injustice persists. It's also easy to judge harshly or even vilify those who disagree with us or those who are slow to grasp the gravity of a particular issue we are passionate about. That judgment can be destructive as well. The opposite of this is also true. If we focus solely on our personal righteousness, instead of recognizing societal injustice and its impacts on others' lives, we can simply blame the individual and their character for their plight and remain blind to the truth of their situation, snubbing those in real need. In Dodson's words, failure to advocate for social justice is a failure to embrace the character of God. Moreover, it becomes oppressive to those who are in need of social righteousness. Writing off social injustices is insensitive, demeaning, and downright ungodly. Dodson instead invites us to mirror the creator in whose image we were made. Like God, he says, we need to hold personal and social righteousness together. We need to cultivate righteous character that promotes patience, humility, and love, while we also advocate for social justice that upholds the cause of the minority, the orphan, the homeless, and the disabled. Jesus doesn't drive a wedge between personal and public good. Instead, 
He promises a flourishing to those who seek both. We are longing to be a community that seeks wholeness for one another and for our world. We are longing to be a community that lives in right relationship with our God, with our neighbors, and with ourselves. We are longing to be a community that doesn't fracture along the dividing lines we see in the world around us, but instead recognizes the blessing and gift of different experiences, views, and backgrounds when they are shared humbly and with love. We long to be a community that practices righteousness in all its fullness, for we know and trust it will lead us to fullness of life. When we look around the world, we can see the consequences of a lack of both personal and public righteousness and the destruction it breeds. One example from this past week comes to us from Kenosha, Wisconsin, in the aftermath of the police shooting of Jacob Blake. Whether we are talking about the shooting itself, the protests that followed, the rioting and looting that erupted, or the second shooting involving a 17-year-old armed with a semi-automatic rifle who killed protesters and wounded a third. Whether we are talking about any of those elements, we can see the destruction lack of righteousness in our world today can cause. Talking about these situations is tough. Um, and I'll be honest with you, for uh, weeks now, I've been talking about these moral issues in kind of a vague way um, without actually like narrowing in on a particular situation and inviting us to ponder it together um, because it feels risky, right? Um, and this one that I've just lifted up to you uh, <laughs> feels plenty, like there's plenty of risk um, in it. Uh, but I'm just recognizing um, if we're going to be the community we long to be, which is a community that will like wade into the hard stuff together and think about the hard stuff together and know we're going to come at it from different places, but honestly like seek after Christ together, um, we got to be willing to talk about the hard stuff. Um, as Glennon Doyle, a writer I really love, says, uh, we can do hard things. <laughs> um, so we're about to do a little bit of some hard things together. Um, and I'm grateful uh, that you're hanging with me um, on this journey, or I guess I don't know if you are, but I'm hopeful you are, um, that you don't just shut off the recording and move on with your day. So the situation like Kenosha, it's complicated. Um, it's super complicated. And um, what, uh, you know, the commentary that flies um, from all sides, um, it's easier to make it less complicated, right? And just um, try to kind of pick a side and advocate uh, from that side. Um, but it's complicated. Um, you all know, and I've spoken about this before, that I am uh, the wife of a police officer, and so I understand what it is like to have a loved one in law enforcement. Um, I somewhat understand. I don't walk in his shoes, so I don't. I don't know. I don't know what it is like to be uh, where he is on a given day doing his work. Um, but I understand the pressures. I understand the challenges. Um, I understand just the difficulties with that line of work and have a lot of respect. Um, 
a lot of respect for the men and women uh, that show up and do that work um, day in, day out for our communities. I'm also a person that is connected to people of color, um, that same police officer and my children, but I've also worked um, in predominant um, neighborhoods uh, where um, you know, it's predominantly people of color um, and have been connected to communities, just diverse communities throughout my life. Um, and so I've had very up close and personal experiences of racism um, and deeply understand uh, the reality of racism. Um, and I'm gonna just name that I just said deeply understand the realities of racism as deep as I can as a white woman, right? So there's limits, but I, I definitely have seen up close and personal just the realities of racism and how it impacts people of color. Um, and do think it is part of our nation's story um, that we need to, I mean, like we're in a reckoning with right now um, and it's an important reckoning um, if we're gonna move forward. Um, I think if we ignore it, um, or try to deny it or turn our backs on it, um, it will be to our detriment. As I think about um, all of the realities uh, since that shooting occurred, um, both what occurred in and around the shooting itself, uh, the protests that have erupted, as I think about the looting and rioting that we've seen, as I think about um, that 17-year-old kid with a semi-automatic machine rifle, I I don't want to misquote what he was actually carrying um, and the people um, whose lives he took and the impact on his life um, because of that taking of life. When I think about all of it, y'all, um, we should just, we should be weeping. We should be weeping. But this is the world that we live in. Um, and we should be owning uh, that we are co-creators of it, right? Like that it's our world. Um, and so we hold responsibility. Um, we hold responsibility uh, as followers of Jesus Christ to try to shape a world that looks different than this one. Um, and to do that, I mean, you, you can look, no matter where you're coming from, you know, no matter what your lens is, you know, if your lens, and, and it is not just this dichotomy, and I don't live in this dichotomy, so I'm not saying it's one or the other, but if your lens is like hashtag back the blue or hashtag black lives matter, that seems to be the dividing line here. No matter which side of this you're coming from or wherever you exist in the middle or outside of those, those dividing lines, um, when you look at this, there are clear signs of just individual personal mistake and sin. Um, all over the place, right? And a need and a call for righteousness, like individual righteousness. Um, and then there are also clear signs of, of public systemic sin um, and uh, what that system has created in us. Um, where we have whole communities uh, just pitted against one another, unwilling to listen to each other, unwilling to work together. Um, where we um, have a system of racism that has just bred um, injustice for decades um, and we're hitting a boiling point with it, right? Um, 
where that's those same systems, you know, I just, I, I just keep thinking about the 17 year old kid. I just keep thinking about that 17 year old kid. Um, and what he did. Um, that we've created a world where uh, that action occurred. And yes, there's personal responsibility, responsibility tied to his action for sure. He made choices. I do not, I do not want to deny that, right? Um, just as there's personal responsibility, you know, in all of the domino effects that led up to the choices he made, right? Uh, whether that be the looters or the rioters, whether that be Jacob Blake and the police officers, like, you know, there's, there, everybody has some stuff to own in all of this, I am sure. I'm not up close and personal, and I'm not about to make judgment on what that looks like, but is there personal responsibility tied up in this all the way around? Absolutely. Um, but we've also created a world where a 17 year old kid can think, that, think it's righteous to wield a gun and, and shoot people um, out in public. And in doing though, take their life and his own, right? Like all of the lives are gone, right? Um, some are literally gone. Um, his future um, with murder charges uh, as a 17 year old kid, I mean, just, um, he's not dead. So uh, mass respect to the lives he took, but um, the life that God had in mind for that, that 17 year old, um, looks radically different now, right? If we try to make this all about one or the other, all about personal and individual responsibility and choice, or all about the systemic sin that we see, um, systems like racism, we, lo we lose a piece of the puzzle. And when we divide ourselves along some of those lines, right, and, and fail to be in conversation and to work together for a better future. Um, we just leave ourselves um, just creating more and more and more destruction. More and more and more destruction. More and more and more destruction. And I sit and I look at it and I just weep. Uh, for the world that we are shaping uh, for our children, for our grandchildren. We've got to do better. We've got to do better. We've got to find a way that's better, that is more life-giving. Um, and less death-dealing. Because when you look at the scene coming out of Kenosha, no matter where you're looking at it from, um, if you don't see death and destruction at every turn, at every turn, you're blind, right? We're blind. And so our job as Christians is to say like, okay, so Jesus, what do we do here? You know, like Jesus, how do we respond here? is complicated. There's not easy answers. And here we're sitting in the middle of Olathe. We are not in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, but the same, the same dynamics uh, that made that blow up there are present anywhere. 
um, in our world today. And so we've got a responsibility uh, to align ourselves with our God and try to shape a world, a world that is better, more just, more fair, more loving, more compassionate, more grace-filled, a world that doesn't uh, just lead to spirals of death and destruction, but instead a world uh, that can lead people towards life. We gotta get hungry for that world. Y'all, we need to be thirsty for that world. And the way we do that, you know, I talked about this a little bit in their children's sermon. You know, we gotta cultivate a spiritual hunger, a spiritual thirst. Uh, we need to look at scenes like the ones coming out of Kenosha and not shut the TV off um, every time, right? Um, but we need to weep and we need to turn to our God. And we need to spend more time we just need to spend more time uh, taking in the nourishment um, that is gonna help really sustain us, right? Um, when you hear people talking hate on either side of this stuff, you gotta just shut it down. It's just not helpful. It's just hurtful and destructive. Um, can't consume that hate. You can't consume the hate. We need to be consuming something different, right? Um, so it's all this compass is about, right? Like pulling out the compass, setting our eyes on Jesus and trying to just stay focused on what Christ's call would be for us in the midst of all of this. We need to turn our eyes from the hate and set our eyes on Christ. Um, consume that bread of life that he offers us, right? So that when we see scenes like this, um, we don't just respond in rage against whoever's on the opposite side of the picket line than us. Um, but instead, when we see things like this, we weep. And then we ask our Lord, what do we do? What do we do? How do we love? How do we fight for justice? How do we, how do we confess, you know, the ugliness, the evil, the sinfulness that's in our own hearts? Um, how do we come along somebody um, who's hurting and broken and speak grace and love and compassion into their hearts? Um, how do we work for a world made new, Lord? How do we work for a world made new? It starts small, it starts simple, it starts at home. And it's important work. I said that to you a lot um, in these days. We have important work to do. And so we're starting right here. We are trying to cultivate a community uh, that doesn't have camps, that doesn't have dividing lines but really create space for people of different backgrounds, different opinions, different thoughts to come together and to try to learn from each other with respect and love and humility. Um, which will mean we'll all be changed by that experience for doing it right. It means we walk into that experience expecting God to open our minds to a new perspective and for that to shift something in us. 
give us a fuller understanding of our world and the work that needs to be done um, to move it towards life. I'm hungry. I'm hungry for that world. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty for that world. May we cultivate appetites for the kingdom of God. And may our God nourish us with everything we need to work for that kingdom in the here and now. I love you all. I'm grateful uh, that we are in this together. And I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful uh, that God can use us, uh, can use us to be agents of that kingdom here, now. I hope you're with me in it. Amen. Amen. So the invitation uh, for your offering this week um, is to cultivate some hunger and thirst in yourself. And how you do that could look a thousand different ways, right? Um, maybe it's really trying to listen to, you know, the story about what's, a story about what's happening in the world, laying down, you know, whatever bias you might carry towards it and really just trying to see every character, every person, every group in that story as children of God and try to understand things from their perspective, right? Um, and to just long, to let yourself long for a world that looks different. That could be one way you cultivate some hunger and thirst, spiritual hunger and thirst. Another is just to draw near to your God to create time and space to be in God's presence because God will give you this hunger and thirst. God will. If you show up, I just, I'm just going to tell you, like, God is going to give you a hunger and thirst for more time. Like, if you start giving God, if you start honoring God with five minutes a day, um, God is going to make you long for ten. Um, if you start showing up and being present to your God, um, God is going to cultivate this appetite in you. So figure out what that looks like for you. I've been doing our first hour prayer community pretty regularly. Um, Jimmy, uh, who hosts that, um, has started publishing it as a podcast. And I love that um, because getting on my computer, I'm on my computer so much, y'all, like having to sit in front of the computer uh, to engage in prayer is just, is hard for me. And so taking the podcast, I still have to have my phone with me, but it can be kind of set aside and I have my headphones in. And I go up to a place on our property that's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I do that contemplative prayer. And that has been a practice that I'm watching it cultivate hunger and thirst in me. Just setting that time aside. So that's a tool. Um, but, you know, you just got to give God some time and some attention. Um, some quiet and some space. Um, it may mean getting into scripture, you know, whether it be, you know, really focusing in on the Beatitudes. We've got a devotion coming out on Monday mornings for each Beatitude, spending some time with that this week. Just give God some room in you and see what God does with that. 
Um, it also means not consuming junk food, <laughs> uh, which I'm gonna call anything that's hateful and spiteful. So, you know, if you're scrolling social media and you're seeing all of the lambasting back and forth, um, shut her down. Don't eat that junk um, because it'll fill you up, um, but not with anything that's gonna satisfy or lead to life for you or for anybody else. So shut out the hatefulness every time you see it. If you hear it in a conversation, shut it down. Shut it down. Um, don't consume that. Let's cultivate. Let's cultivate some hunger and some thirst uh, for our God and God's longing for us, for our hearts, for our character, um, and for the character of our society, for justice in the world. I invite you into this time of reflection to just think about what it would look like to cultivate that appetite in you um, in this week ahead. Um, continue to be thinking on that uh, beyond this little bit of time we give you in worship as well.